Welcome to the Business Sphere. On this podcast, we want to share real stories and real struggles from entrepreneurs who have been where you are. John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover their successes and challenges. We take a deep dive into their journey and provide you with tips and advice to help your business today. Thank you for listening and don't forget to share this episode and subscribe to subscribe. My guest today is Tom Liebel, who runs Smart Brand Marketing and We Market Online Courses. He has done it all from owning a coffee shop, retail stores, record labels, doing music, hip hop, I imagine. Uh, thanks for joining me, Tom. I decided to learn a little bit about you, your history, and uh, maybe start off with uh, sharing with the listeners you know, how you got started in this world of entrepreneurship and go as far back as you would like. Well, uh, going very far back, it's, you know, like we spoke before the podcast, humble roots, man, humble roots. Like uh, I was in Poland and my dad would smuggle stuff in from Germany and sell it in soccer stadiums in Poland. Um, And I would sort of make those trips with him sometimes, you know, like my job as a seven-year-old would be to, lay down in the back of the car seat. And when the customs officers came up, you know, I was supposed to cry and scream and make sure they move away so they don't search the back seat. And then, you know, at the soccer stadiums, I would help them sell stuff. And then, you know, as they dropped me off to other family members that did stuff with Russians and stuff like it was, it was a very interesting kind of street knowledge type of a upbringing, you know, but, but a lot of business, you know, like he, he made money, doing whatever he could you know my mom was a teacher so pretty normal career but him yeah it was a lot of business stuff and it's sort of you know i guess it planted a seed that does that for us sometimes right like we see you know a parent and their friends doing something and i was like i i think i'm gonna be a business guy when i'm older like that's that's kind of the identity i formed when i was around that age and also i thought i was gonna be a musician which and an astronaut so <laughs> back then, you know, three things, you know, which two of them I succeeded and the, the third one was just too much work. So I, <laughs> I let that go. <laughs> but who, who knows, right? Like now with the space travel, it's expensive, but, but it's actually possible that before I finish this journey, I might actually become the third one too at some point. So yeah, that's, that's what happens. But as I moved through, you know, when we moved to the States when I was around 10, um, my parents had multiple jobs, a minimum wage, you know, zero respect, zero benefits. And I remember going to school and my parents are gone. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm little still, you know, 11, getting on the bus by myself. I'm coming home with a key. There's no one there. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, they're working so hard and we're still broke. You know, that's, that, that's one of the things I remember, like, kind of stuck with me. And, you know, like the counselor later at the school, like, what do you want to be? You know, like with your behavior and attitude, I was like, well, I don't want to be you. That's for sure. And I don't want to have a normal job because my parents have three and we're broke. Doesn't sound like a good deal to me. Right. And as an immigrant, you know, the families that we knew from our background, because, you know, I always compared myself to my background, like the kids that were, you know, growing up and with all the nice houses and everything. I was like, yeah, they're on a different track. They didn't really have great jobs. You know, Polish people in, in the U.S., especially in Chicago, where I was, construction. That's what all the Polish people do. When we went to New York to see some family, they did roofing which, again, part of construction, right? You know, and I was like, well, yeah, that doesn't sound amazing. You know, I'm going to stick with my business plan. And that's kind of how the journey went. You know, like I, I was able to sell some weed in school to make some initial money, you know, and then uh, co-owned a record store with a couple older kids because I was still too young to own anything. I was like 16. So they, you know, and then moved on from there to music. I wanted to get that out of my system. We moved to New York for that, um, worked in recording studios, then had my own where I produced stuff. And we had a documentary crew from Poland come in and do a whole thing on us because we were doing music. And um, I got a whole bunch of sales jobs after that just to kind of figure out 
how can I make the business work? Because, you know, sales are the backbone of everything. So I, I kind of went through that and then moved on from that to a coffee shop, realized I hate that. I don't drink coffee. I don't like brick and mortars and moved into the online space. And ever since then, it's been just an online kind of journey. You know, initially uh, SEO business, then a generic marketing company, then we niched down a little bit to e-commerce and then into online courses. Then we sort of went full speed with that. And in the, we also published like 5,000 Kindle books as a side project and filmed a, a documentary in Bangkok on digital nomads. So a lot of stuff, right? But it's like, you know, it all kind of follow a certain path. You know, like every time like I felt, and this is how you sell things too to other people. Every time I felt like I'm in this current situation now, I don't like it. How do I get to the next one and make the steps for that? And when things got comfortable, make more money again. I'm uncomfortable again. I don't like the situation. And what do I do? Or I'm bored. What do I do next, right? And that's sort of how everything happens. I get bored a lot and I'm very unhappy with current situations because when things work really well, they become boring. You've seen it in your business probably. The, the stuff that works is always boring. And then, you know, you, you figure out, like, well, I'm unhappy because I want to scale this business or I'm unhappy because my profit margins suck or I'm unhappy because I'm spending too much time with clients, you know, and this is how different things kind of happen and move forward. But yeah, that's, that's the business journey. You know, we all go through the same thing as business people. That's amazing. That's a great summary of uh, your, your life so far, but I want to drill down on a couple of those bullet points that you mentioned. Sure. Okay? So if you don't mind sharing, I know you mentioned you were in Chicago um, yeah. and you kind of had these, businesses with others right um was the reasoning because you had seen it from your dad of the hustle like the mindset of really working hard to make some sort of income or money to survive or was it really to get ahead like because people work for certain reasons right it's either to pay for food shelter needs or for stuff and or to fit in, right? Because everyone else had nice jeans, nice clothes, or whatever. During those early stages, was it just try to survive and fit in for you? So initially, it just felt natural, right? Like there's just some things that you pick up and you're just pretty good at. You know, like some kids pick up a basketball. And, and there's no real reason other than, you know, like one kid doesn't like it, he puts it away, and the other one just starts shooting, and it's like, huh, this is not bad. I'm pretty good at this. And obviously, you need a lot more practice and training. And, you know, like with me, I had to unlearn a lot of the hustle mentality to grow a real business. But it actually just came easy to me. You know, like when I started selling weed, I was actually very good at it. I made a lot of money, and no one knew what I was doing. There's no, nothing better to do in that profession, right? With the record store, I was really good with the inventory. I knew what people liked. I knew how to deal with my employees that we had. And I had a lot of fun. I started DJing, you know, started playing. As a, You got to think, as a 16-year-old, to DJ because you got this record store at bars, clubs, raves all over the city. I mean, there's that lifestyle was quite fun and it just happened naturally because the older guys that's what they were getting into and you know they were like 20 something and they were just like hey tom let's come to this bar let's come to this college just play play and i'm, I'm this 16 year old kid which is like sure you know that, that's a lot of attention and, and it just became it felt really natural like I, I didn't really later on when people asked me in my 20s why are you working so hard on this business? I was like, well, I don't want to be broke. That was my why. Because I looked at my parents, like, you know, always problems with money. Can I get this? We don't have the money. Can I see this? No money. You know, so when I thought about it later in my 20s, in my teens, I didn't feel like that. Because I, you know, from the, like the weed cash and the record store and stuff like that, I had enough in my pocket to, you know, feel good. And I had enough of the clout because, you know, DJ owns record store, which I, I just didn't really even notice that anything was missing. 
But then my 20s, when I was like, okay, how do I move things forward? It was like, I just don't want to be broke for now. That was my main thing, you know, have enough in the bank account where I don't think that I need to work tomorrow. It was a huge thing for me. That was a huge breakthrough. Even like my mom, when she, you know, heard that I actually have enough where I don't need to work for the next three years, she couldn't wrap her head around it. You know, it wasn't a huge goal for most people, but for me at that time, it was, it was huge, you know, going from like check to check hustle nonstop to I can actually sit back and think about what to do next. It was huge. Now my thinking is more, how do I get ahead and how do I fulfill certain things? But in my twenties, very much don't want to be broke period. And in my teens, it it just felt natural, like picking up a bowl. No, that's, that's great insight. Um, And I love that honesty. Um, So, question I would like to ask you, Tom, is um, in your 20s, I know you came to a realization you have a couple years worth of savings. What was the next goal for you? Um, Because you probably started seeing some of your friends just starting their career, right? Starting to get into the workplace, starting to learn a new skill, right? Getting their resume up to speed, looking at working at big companies or whatever, that nine to five rat race. And you've already been doing that for five, 10 years before that, right? Like yeah. working in your teens, like who are you trying to associate and mimic? And, you know, what guided you to continue pursuing entrepreneurial journeys versus doing what everyone else was doing, like your friends or colleagues or whatever maybe? Yeah, so a couple of things happened. Um, I didn't really have anyone I wanted to be like. You know, unlike right now, back then we didn't have that many people to look up to other than, you know, like the big, big guys in books. So I would read a Warren Buffett book, but that didn't really apply to me. Yeah. You know, I would read about some CEO from UPS. That didn't apply to me. You know, some huge startup with a million dollar of funding or, you know, someone built Netflix. I'm like, none of this applies to me. I, I, I don't have any of these connections or, or type of cash flow, you know, or chunks of cash, which they had. So I had to pick my own route. And, you know, with some of the savings, I was like, well, I'm just going to hustle harder. And, and this is when I said, you know, I had to unlearn a lot of the hustle stuff because, you know, you can make a lot of money on these shortcuts and, and you know, the hustling route, but it's usually not long-term. You usually hit a wall or you're about to go off a cliff, which you don't even see. But to address the other question about the jobs, so there were about three years where I went corporate to get my sales skills up. So my play was that I'm going to work for every corporation that I can find that wants salespeople, get trained by them, do some work, and leave and move on to the next one. And I did inside sales, outside sales, retail. I did every type of sale possible, you know, from selling nonsense, like life insurance, selling dreams, um, selling Nestle, which just bottled water to businesses, B2B. I did B2C also. um, Moving services, uh, warranties, you know, stuff people love. And... I realized if I can sell all this stuff, which I completely don't care about, if I can find something that I like, I'm going to do really well. And two things came out of those uh, situations too. One, I realized I don't ever want to work for a corporation again, any of them, because I, I'm treated like a number and I've seen what, what it does to people. I've seen the older sales guys especially in life insurance. It was sad. You know, it's like some of these 20, 30-year-old guys, they were just grumpy and, you know, almost gave up on life. And I'm like, this is not what I want to be. But I remember playing basketball with one of the guys from the life insurance company, Chinese guy, super smart. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, you know what, Tom? We're getting ripped off here. And I was like, how so? Well, 
we sell this life insurance, which is a monthly revenue for this company. They pay us out six to 12 months and they make money for the next 30 years. What if we had something where we can sell 20 people and make money for the next 30 years? We'd never have to work again. And you have no idea how much of a seed that planted. You know, I, I, first I just played, I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess. But then I sat home and I actually looked at this, some little napkin math. And I was like, man, he's right. After a couple of years of selling like that, like you really don't ever have to work again. I mean, as long as your turnover rate is not bad, but I mean, even if you're not selling a lot, just a hundred or a couple hundred bucks, I mean, with enough clients, like you're set for life. And I looked at these companies and I'm like, they are ripping us off. I can come up with, and that's where the first SEO online biz came from. Because that's the easiest thing to sell, especially back then. This was like 12 years ago. SEO was super easy back then. And it's recurring. You know, some of the clients that started with me back then, like I would say like maybe nine years from now, they're still with me now. And we don't do the SEO company anymore, really. Like we, we maintain a few clients, but we don't take on any new ones. But you got to think about the longevity with that. Nine years, 10 years, we've had companies paying us every single month since that time. So I definitely learned something from that. No, that, that makes total sense, right? Like sales is definitely the biggest asset skill set in business entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't even think of when they start a business, right? Yeah. They feel yeah. it's product and services, you know, and they feel like, yeah, you can procure, you can supply chain, you can operate, you can, but really if you can't sell what you have, then there's no buyer. Right. And that recurring revenue model. Um, I was very interested in that because I worked at yellow pages. I saw it. I worked at affiliate mm. online businesses and I saw how important and how sustainable it is. And just like life insurance, it's more like monthly, but then they get the rest of the months. Right. And yeah. the lifetime value of that customer is could be five, 10, 20 years. And there's not much, maintenance going on after the initial acquisition of it so True. yes it's an upfront acquisition might take a little bit more time effort or resources but the tenure of it is making sure that you you fulfill on your deliverables and they're going to be there for you for the rest of your life right so understanding that whole concept is interesting um, and so question i wanted to ask you because i know you were residing in chicago when did you, you know, relocate and how long ago and why? Well, in my teens, I was around Chicago. Like my parents first moved to Chicago. Then we moved to a town which was like 45, 50 minutes away. So it was a suburb pretty much. But okay. I still, still spent a lot of time there. And then I went to school in Florida for a year and a half. Um, I did engineering school. And then I went to New York. So all of my 20s. I would say eight, nine years I spent in New York. My music career, record engineering, all the sales jobs, everything happened in New York, um, mostly in Brooklyn. Okay. And the reason you know I kind of want to mention Brooklyn is because that's where I had to do a lot of my door-to-door -door, door sales. And you can imagine that neighborhood was not very pleasant to walk around and sell door-to-door. -door. You know, not the most welcoming neighborhood. So... I learned how to deal with some characters. And not only have I learned how to take no, you know, for an answer without really feeling anything, but deal with some really difficult people. So then when I moved to the online world, it became super easy, super, super easy. Like it went from difficulty 10 to difficulty two, you know, and it's just an environment, you know, you, when you actually get hit with the door, by the you know business owner, it's a little different than you know someone just saying no on Zoom and logging off. Like I feel nothing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it helped a lot. So I had all my sales training in New York, and they sent me around Harlem, Manhattan, um, Queens. I did a lot, Long Island. So I, I've I've done a lot of the difficult, like the real New Yorkers, you know, get out of here type of environments, which were healthy for me. You know, I hated it for a long time, but I got to say, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. 
if I sold in a place where everyone was nice, like maybe somewhere down south, like I moved to Atlanta later on, it wouldn't be the same. You know, it's not the same when someone very nicely tells you to go away. Um, you don't get that same kind of hit if someone's like, get out of here, don't ever come back again. Oh, you're a sales guy and just hit you with the door, right? So it, it toughened me up. And you need that in business. You need that in business. You need to have a thick skin um, or you're not going to sleep well at night. I sleep very well. But it also boils down to the threshold, right? Like you and me alike, we're originally salespeople, right? Who got it from the streets to then learn about the business sense of it all. And with that thick skin that you mentioned, a lot of people who start businesses or get into it, their their thickness of skin, like whenever they get rejected or they get hung up on or someone, you know, says no, they break down. Their threshold yeah. is so weak that for us, we can get thousands no's and that next yes will make our day and I would ignore everyone else. Like, yeah. because we were trained with a habit of doing things that doesn't really affect us emotionally. It doesn't really, you know, connect us in the mind as as well, right? Like a lot of people just are weak. I don't know how to say this, right? Uh, Yeah, I've I've thought about that. Um, It's like having stage fright. Yeah, public speaking, yeah. Public speaking, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very similar thing. Um, some people break down, you know, during a speech and others just get up and have no problems with it. But a lot of us are not naturals. You know, the thing is, if you know what you're doing, because I've performed on stage quite a bit, you know, first as a DJ, then with the hip hop and, you know, so... Like, I actually realized that if you really know your stuff, it's pretty easy to catch your groove when you're on stage, you know, and forget about people watching you. But the the problem that a lot of business people have, and this is where a lot of this fear comes from, is they're really unsure of themselves in the first place. Yeah, self-confidence. Well, even whatever they're selling, is my service really good enough? Is my product good enough? They focus on that much more than just putting the message across to the person, having them buy in and just figure it out later. There's there's a lot of emphasis on why should I even sell this? Why should people listen to me? I, I find that a lot with newer business people. Yeah. That's in the back of their minds, you know, like a lot of uncertainty. Like no one's taking me seriously. And that happens to all of us in our 20s. Just, you know, it's fine. Get over it. It'll be okay, you know. But I do find it blocks people from doing things. It's like, if you look at my resume, and I've been asked many, many times on podcasts, like, how have you accomplished so many things? And there's no secret. I finish what I start. Most people don't finish their projects. And yet, we know that the first 90% of a project, and I always laugh, is much quicker than the last 90% of the project. You know, that last 10% is like the 90%, which no one wants to complete. And, and that works with everything, with a service, with an app, with anything you're building, that last 10% is going to be so annoying. But you're this close. You're always that close to finishing it. And if you put enough things out to the world, you have much less stress about how people perceive it because you've already put many things out and you're going to put out many more. Then if you're that person that tries to get this one thing done and put everything else aside, and this is your only shot. That's when a lot of this pain comes from, right? Like if I waited until I'm now, and didn't do any of these things before, but I only waited now. I'm finally ready. I'm going to start an agency marketing online courses, but I have none of the background, nothing associated, no experience. I'll probably feel the same way, right? So I think that's kind of what happens. Like people don't put enough stuff out there. They don't practice enough in public. They don't 
finish and not things that they started. Because if you do, you stop caring so much. People don't like this. So what? I'll put out something else tomorrow. And you also quickly realize that people don't think about you very, very much. If you put something out, they'll forget about it much quicker than you will. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, they'll be like, oh, you have this out now. I like this. They won't even remember that you just completely failed with something previously. They don't. People don't care. So I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a mindset thing, maybe. I don't like talking about mindset too much because I think it's kind of easy, you know, if you just follow the right steps. But it, it sort of is. You know, like if you think about creation wrong or putting stuff out or how people think or, yeah, it's definitely going to stop you. And I, but see, it's different when you're an entrepreneur that has been successful and been doing it for so long. A lot of people give up so quickly. They put so much time in analysis and they put it all in one egg, one basket, right? And of course, if that doesn't work, they give up and they're like, I've tried it. I'm not going to do it again. It overstressed me. I put so much time and effort and nothing went right. Well, you, me and everyone else in sales or entrepreneurs, like how many times do you have to fail or get slammed on, you know, saying no and people objections, rejection all day long. And it doesn't phase us because I know there's people out there that need our services, need our products. And, all I need to do is service the ones that need it, not the ones that don't need it, because there's a lot of people that don't need it. There's a lot of people that do need it. Just focus your efforts on the positives. And a lot of people forget that, right? It's like they put their all their eggs in one basket and then they're like, what happens? I, I think you're much nicer about this than me. I actually tell people like, maybe this is just not for you. Yeah. Business is not easy. Not you know, sure. I think uh, Elon Musk just put a tweet out, which I really liked. If you need motivation in business, you shouldn't be doing business. Yeah, It's just, it's not easy, right? And putting all your eggs in one basket, what are you doing? Crappy stock investing? I mean, seriously, you know, it's like, what are you picking meme stocks and hoping it's going to make you a millionaire? You know, it's, it's just some of this stuff I think is common sense. If you have nothing after five years, but some good analysis, man, you should go work for a Wall Street firm. They pay for that. Well, people have short-term, uh, you know, every, everyone wants quick fixes, quick results, quick whatever it is, right? But in reality, yeah. in business, in education and skill, it takes time to harvest these new skill sets from habits. And the more you learn these integral habits of, soft skills, hard skills, sales, and personal skills, communication, voice, right? Like singing, like you're not going to be DJ and singing unless you put in that five, 10 years of like practice daily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same as athletes, same as entrepreneurship, same as sales. No one sees you doing those things 10 years, but right at the top, you're finally successful or someone that they aspire to become. They're like, how did you just become that? Well, no one saw that. It took you 20 years to get there. But they see yeah. you now and they think they want to be like that, but they don't want to do those 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I've had clients ask me, you know, I'm, I'm really good at educating and I'm really good at this. How do I do the sales part? Easily, just take 20 years and put some effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, like I've had people ask me too, you know, because you just mentioned shortcuts, like, oh man, how do I turn like 20 bucks into $2,000 quickly? I was like, oh, that's super easy. You go put $20 in your car and go to work (laughs) and wait till the paychecks add up to 2000. I mean, look, look, selling dreams is really easy. That's the hustle part. That's, that's, that's when, you know, the younger us right that's that's what we kind of grew up on that's what i mean like you at some point you have to outgrow that at some point you need to realize well the long-term stuff doesn't really work with the hustle you know like when you see someone that's let's say 45 years old on linkedin 
And they said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. And often what I think is what went wrong, right? I'm not looking at this like, oh, yeah, he's a serial entrepreneur. It's great. What happened? Because sometimes people like that will come up to me and be like, look, Tom, I have 25 years of business experience. I was like, no, you don't. I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You have three years of experience 10 times. You've never actually moved past that third seat on the bus of business. You just keep switching buses. Like you actually don't have much more experience than, than a 24-year-old that actually did four years. He actually is better than you. And that's just a fact. Like pushing through a lot of these things we have and encounter at work and in business, I mean, yeah, they're tough. There, there's Every business person will tell you there's been times where they sat down and stared at the wall for three days. But either you move past it, you plateau, or you give up. That's the only three options you have. And once you are like me and you tasted the freedom and you're now unemployable, you actually only have two options. Get past it or plateau. Yeah. That's it. That give up one goes away. And if you're annoyed still, like me, that you still want more, you only have one option. Get past it. You know, but that, that depends on you know your personality, where you are in your journey too, and how much of a fallback you have. You know, if my parents had you know twenty million dollars and you know waiting for me when I'm thirty, I, I don't know if I'd have the same drive. You know, I, I I met a lot of kids like that in, in New York. You know, they were in college and they had millions waiting for them when they turned a certain age. They didn't have the same drive. Yeah, you know. They, they got put into good spots and situations, but they never really made it like some of the people like us would, you know, not much to fall back on. Like, I, I like to think of it as the Russian army in the World War II, when they used to put only the best in the front. So if they turned around to run back, they get shot in the back because there was no vest in the back. There was only the vest on the one side of their body. And I kind of think of us like that. And I, I want to make a quick note on that as well like it's all about where you're situated right like the position you're set up in like like you mentioned in college myself included when I was in university I I saw everyone had their vehicles their parents they had a credit card that their parents (laughs) was funding right and I was working and I was like food stamps like everything I made was like to pay off my debt to to get a student loan and to like just eat survive I didn't drive a yep. car I didn't even have nice clothes right and I just wanted good education so that I can get through the next stage of my life because I needed to survive so that's the need spectrum right and people are placed and our DNA is different entrepreneurs DNA is different than someone that's put into a situation where there's comfort knowing that they don't have to worry because we had no comfort. We had no backup plan. It was it, right? It's like we dictate what's going to happen, right? And we're in complete control of it. And if you fail, there's no plan B, right? It's like you're on the streets. You Mm got to, you know, make sure that you can survive to sustain yourself in the future, right? And look, I think us as immigrants, I feel like the first generation people that understand what, how hard it is, how the struggle is. A lot of people don't feel the struggle. They don't know what it would be like to live like that, but we know how it was. And that's why we don't want to live like that ever again. Hmm. Yeah. That, that, so when I was in life insurance, um, I was in a, branch in Bay Ridge, which was very close to a bigger Chinese population. And I did training with one of the Chinese guys and we became pretty much best friends. And, you know, he would come up to me sometimes. Chinese, very business oriented, much more than Polish. So I, I, you know, always asked him about things like that too, business related, but he'd come up to me and say, you know what? You're like a brother to me. And I said, what about these other guys here? 
there's so many people, right? He's like, no, they're too soft. They're too soft. And, and, you know, I asked him a couple of times, he's like, you know, and he, he said the same thing. Like just the immigrant, you know, background. We think differently. We think differently. Look, we, we both came. I remember he said that we both came to the country and we both had everything taken away from us. Right. All my clothes, my stuff, my toys, my family, my friends, everything I knew was taken away from me, from us. And that kind of made us people with nothing to lose. You know, so in my teens, in my 20s and stuff, I was like, I, I had nothing to lose. I mean, what else are you going to take away from me? What, what else are you going to do? Right. So when a lot of people had this, like I came from this comfortable house and I have roots. So I was like, I don't have anything here. I got nothing to lose. What are you going to do? Take away this apartment? I'm barely paying it right now. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, there was nothing like my crap car. Please. I'd like to get rid of it. Like there was just nothing. And, and I think that helped. And it's not only just not having a plan B, it's just not having anything to lose at that point, you know, and, and that made it easier to propel myself forward. And I think it does it for a lot of immigrants. And that's the one thing which is hard to explain to a person that's born in the West. Yeah. You know, everything I'm, else is easy to explain, but that little part, you can't replicate it. And so that's my biggest fear, right? Like my son, he's, uh, you know, early ages. I think he's, he's like five turning six and I'm trying to teach him, but it's hard because he's not living the hard life. How do you, <laughs> go from trying to establish your your career and your lifestyle to ensure that your kids upbringing is difficult and challenging so that they can be self uh, you know they can take care of themselves in the future right and these are things as a parent it's hard to you know set yourself up and try to do things right and that's one of the hardest struggles that i have at this stage of my mm -hmm. business lifespan and journey, right? Um, but that's parenting. That's completely different. <laughs> Actually, it's not really. Like, I always think of it this way. The first generation builds it. Second generation maintains it. Third one destroys it. So your son will be second generation. So I always would think of that's going to be a maintenance generation. They will hopefully propel it forward, plateau, not do anything too risky. I mean, if, if they're good, there's some. You know, kids, they do that. But usually that's a safe way. They shouldn't be able to mess it up too much. And the third generation will probably completely, you know. So that's that's the way I think of it. It, it, it does all happen, right? Like, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You know, that saying is there for a reason. Because, you know, there's been enough generational businesses and immigrants where they know. You know, but, but again, and I'm going to say this from my background, because I know enough Polish people, that most First-generation Polish people don't actually build anything. It's usually the second generation that builds it. The third one maintains it. Fourth one destroys it. The first generation usually does not actually have the money or resources or anything to build enough stuff, right? So if you actually build something as your first generation, you are a lot ahead of your peers. Yeah. You so I, I wanted to now pivot back to... Um, where you're at right now, Tom. So I know you kind of started this SEO industry uh, business yeah. and then you've, you know, dabbled in other types of businesses and now you're a content creator, course creator. Um, what, what's going on? Like, what are you working on and what are you excited about? Sure. So at the moment we are running a very comfortable high-end boutique service agency. So we help course creators market courses. We've done over 200. We have a very good success rate and everything's easy, which means I'm annoyed again. So what we're doing now is we found another niche and we are building an app in that niche to build something that's going to go into quite of a big industry and can scale. You know, like the, the competition in the industry makes between 10, 20 to up to a hundred million per year in revenue. So you know, I, I have something that's working, that's great, and I'm comfortable with, and then I have the next project, always, always, right? And the content creation and stuff, that's just extra. I just enjoy doing it. 
but that's that's really the moment, right? Like as as soon as you get comfortable, you should get annoyed. Unless you want to plateau. With me, it happens every single time. As soon as I'm like, oh, business is easy. We're getting leads, have enough clients. We've been booked for years. The first thing I feel is not happiness. I'm annoyed. What next? What are we doing now? Because there's nothing there, right? Like we can maintain this like this forever. And the main thing I thought about the agency is like, well, I have two choices. I can grow the agency, which is going to be a huge headache, lower margins, more clients, more employees, more just nonsense left and right. Or we leave it as it is, which is a good cash cow when, you know, we're doing great with the clients. So nothing to complain there. And we built something that can really, really scale. We can make an exit. And, you know, and that was sort of the path we took. So we're working on that now and it's in, in the early stages, but we're already talking with VCs and, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it, like internally. That's amazing. So when did you decide to leave America to relocate? And what was that like? Hmm. Well, I don't know about Vietnam, but in Poland, every person that leaves Poland has a dream. And that's to go to America, make a lot of money, come back and live like a king. Yeah. Now, that's, that's been the dream. What I thought is, because I went back to Poland after about 15 years of being in the States, I like it, but I don't want to go back and live as a king in Poland. I don't like it that much anymore. <laughs> like, I like it, but not that much. So I, I was wondering, what if I not make money and come back, but kept making money and lived wherever I want to? You know, slight pivot on the idea. And initially, I moved around the States a little bit because, you know, I, I had the STO business in Atlanta. And I was like, well, can I sustain it if I'm just not in the city? But, you know, I'm still in the country, same time zones, worst case scenario, I can come back or fly in, you know. And it took a bit to kind of, you know, dial that in because it's very different, you know, from seeing clients in person like in Atlanta and then moving into an online, fully online situation. Then I went to a conference in Berlin. This was like maybe nine years ago. And all the people there did nothing but work online and travel the world. This was uh, the Dynamite Circle um, conference. And they told me, you know, the main conference is in Bangkok. That's where all the bowlers come out. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good place to hang out. And I went to a couple of these conferences and what they did, because I still lived in the States, is after every conference, they migrated. So some went to Ho Chi Minh City, some went to Taiwan, some went to Chiang Mai, like just different spots. And they stayed there for months. And that's kind of how I got my feet wet. You know, I would go for a couple of months, go back to the States and maybe go to Europe for a bit, come back, go to DCBKK and that, you know. And eventually, after traveling so much, I felt super comfortable. And I went on a full long term. I'm staying here for three months, here for three months, just all over Europe and Asia. And that has diminishing returns. Once you see enough Europe, enough Asia, enough of these places, you're like, you know, it's kind of all the same now. And I don't want to go find another gym. I don't want to find another grocery store. I don't want to find, you know, another coffee shop. Like I actually want to find like two or three places I like. And that's what I did. I picked, you know, one in Europe, one in the States, one in Asia, which I really, really like. And I kind of traveled between those. So like Chiang Mai, Warsaw, and Chicago. That's and that's sort of been the path since then. And with COVID, we stayed a little longer in Thailand because Things have been super easy here. So we just moved between Krabi and Chiang Mai back and forth and Bangkok a little bit. But the journey just kind of happened as a pivot on the original dream which my parents had. Gotcha. And are your parents still in the U.S.? And They're in the U.S., yeah. They're, they're around Chicago. And I go see them at least once a year. Like with COVID, it's been about two years. But in January, I'm going to head back for at least five months, I think. Okay, that's good. And then, like, where do you see yourself in, you know, the next five, 10 years? Because it seems like you're, once you become too comfortable, you're on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and this is why I see with a lot of entrepreneurs, right? They can't, 
you know, just be content with that one thing they're working on. There's always side projects. There's always different things on the go because that's what excites us, right? Like the same here, like I have all these projects and just have fun, right? And continually Mm -hmm. challenging yourself because you're growing along the way, right? And it's okay to make mistakes as long as you have a lot of different, you know, buckets out there, one of them will hit, right? It's like diversify as much as possible. Um, Yeah. Where do you see yourself? Well, it, it depends, right? Like I, I I get very annoyed with business, but I try to not bring that into my personal life as much. Yeah. So I'm, you know, okay being in Chiang Mai for six months, then going to the US for three months and Europe three months and just having that as long as it takes, unless something changes, right? Like with the new app, we spoke with a couple of investors and one of them was from Dubai. And he said, you know, if he invests, we have to go to Dubai twice a year. I'm cool with that. If I get tired of Chiang Mai, then I just think, what's the next city that I love in Asia? And it's Taipei. So I would move to Taipei and then continue my, you know, I'm actually pretty easy with my personal. Like I've seen enough. Uh, I have no discontent. Like I find, you know, you need certainty and uncertainty in your life. You need the annoyance and the happiness. I'm very happy with my personal life. But I get annoyed in business, right? Because I want to change that stuff. But I don't want to change stuff in my personal life. I have my systems. I have my friends. Like, I'm actually super, super content. But that allows me to then put all my anger towards the business and then be like, well, we need to fix whatever it is we, we, we want to move to, right? Um, I don't think it's healthy to do it in your entire life. I think that's, that's when people kind of go off the rails. So I, I definitely, you know, target all of that weird feeling into my business and make sure we we push that that's amazing yeah because it it sounds like you know a lot of people look at where you're at right and they all want to be like you but they don't see what you did previously Mm. struggle the the ethics long journey yeah long journey right no one talks about 20 years Mm. and they see you now and they want to be just like you right and i always say this like look at any athlete no one just becomes a Michael Jordan, right? Or LeBron James or whatever. It, it takes so many years of, you know, great perseverance, right? A lot of like just hard work. So I love that. Yeah, the, the thing is, I've, I've always thought about people who say that. And, but do you really want that? Like, like for example, you know, like people would say, I want to be so, like back when I was younger. Oh, I wish I was like Pac. You know, Tupac, he was rhyming so well. I was like, really? You want to be shot when you're 26 and then be in jail how many times and then get shot again in Vegas? And then, I mean, really, you, that's what you're looking for? Like, people don't realize that if you have my life, you have all of it. That means you now have the memories of having everything ripped away from you when you're 10. You know, like it doesn't just come like, oh, yeah, he's does whatever he wants to have a nice business, like blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, like, no, you get all of it. But no one sees that. No one knows you're all of it. They only see yeah. you as that. Right. right. But everyone knows their own situation. Of course. And what you have to realize is that everyone's situation is just like that, but in different ways. Yeah. So all the crappy stuff that you think about your life. And all the good stuff you think about your life, that next person has the same type of stuff. It's going to be different, yeah. But trust me, the more ambitious they are, the more dark stuff happened in the past. I always, always find that with the most successful, most ambitious people, like they went through stuff. So if you want to become a person just like that, just, just understand that there's going to be a lot of stuff you're going to have to learn how to handle. It's true. Um, and being an entrepreneur, it's not for everyone, like you mentioned. Um, being no. in any skill, you got to persevere, you got to put in the time, and you got to learn as much as you can. Don't give up, the, the, like you mentioned, right? You got to follow the, through at the yeah, end. Yeah, the, the problem is that the media over the last 10 years just spouts nothing but business porn. You, you've noticed this. 
Of course. This guy made 10 millions of an app. This guy just got picked by Shark Tank. This guy, like all they do is show this business porn, which is not reality. But that's what people eat up. Well, and what I mean, sells, yeah. right? And what's the attention and what gets viewers, gets the audience all excited to try it, to, you know, it, that's the whole PR machine, right? Yeah, of but media. excitement doesn't sustain you over the 10 years you're going to have to go through. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be something deeper. Either you pick up the ball and you're just good at it, or, or there's got to be something else that's really driving you. And then I've met people who were just not that good at it, but they had the drivers. And often, you know, it was something to do with their past. Yeah, yeah I, I think upbringing, the roots, the values when you're young ingrained you in so much deeper levels that, you know, when you are in your teens, when you're in your 20s, you kind of see how it's impacted your life. But if you had too much of an easy path, it's hard to endure challenges, right? Like you're not going to be in the same situations because you're never going to see it, right? Like the dark sides of it all. Yeah. Right. So Tom, this has been really great conversation. I loved it. Um, I know you're up to a lot going on. Stay connected. Um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, check you out, or hit you up? Um, smartbrandmarketing.com. Um, if you just go there and hit the contact part, like it, I'm easy to reach. Um, and if you need the services, it's wemarketonlinecourses.com. Also very easy to find. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to uh, add that in the show, show notes. Awesome. I want to thank you for your time. Great insight, great value that you brought to the table. I'm very uh, grateful for having you on the show. And if there's anything you need, we can hit each other up, you know, offline. If you're ever in Canada, let me know. Yeah. I'm a big Raptors fan. I love basketball, by the way. So Sweet. <laughs> I'll take you up. Uh, I, I would love to do that. I'll, I'll actually take you up on that offer when I go to Canada, for sure. Yeah, Toronto. I mean, I, I've been here all my life, but I love traveling too. So every, anytime I'm in Asia, I'll, I'll reach out to you as well. Um, 100%. But Tom, great getting to the, this discussion. Great on this mindset of entrepreneurs because it's hard to find someone like you or myself to that actually enjoy what we do. So, yeah. Thanks yeah. A lot. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Tom. I'll talk yep. to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the business sphere and share this episode. Tune in next week for more interviews from entrepreneurs.